Welcome to the Deer Society Podcast. Here's your host, Brian Lemke. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Deer Society Podcast. I'm Brian Lemke, joined by JJ Ducart and seed scientist. I call him Brian Clary. As you can see, if you're watching on YouTube, brand new podcast studio, uh, some exciting things happening in the Deer Society world, uh, moved into a brand new office space, which means brand new studio and new podcast setup. So it looks kind of familiar, but uh, a little different too, just some lighting changes, kind of background changes, um, exciting stuff going on over here. So it's it's exciting first podcast in the new podcast studio we got lots going on, man. We've been in the field a lot. Uh, summer's flying by already. Fall is coming in a hurry. And we're going to be talking food plots today. Uh, tons to talk about, but we're going to be talking about new food plots. Uh, we're going to be talking about maximizing food plots that are already in or planted. So that could be uh, fall plots that are already in or uh, ag land, uh, you know, beans, corn, um, how to maximize your volume in those plots. And then also we're going to talk about fixing failures. So as much as we talk about successful food plots here, uh, failures happen, and that's part of the process. Some you can control, some you can't, um, but it's about how you tackle those failures after they happen um, and kind of save those food plots and do the best you can for the fall. So lots of exciting stuff going on, lots to talk about. Let's kick it off with new plots. Well, yeah, and like you said, it's been a long time since we've been in the studio yeah. with the move. Um, actually had another kid, added that to the mix launching food plots, planting food yep. plots. So been out of the uh, studio for a long time, but it's good to be back and we'll try to keep stuff coming in more consistent moving forward. So food plot seasons, July 28th, while we're recording this one, mm -hmm. and we're in the peak planting season right now for our fall plots. So yep. maybe Brian, you want to start with just what's going on? Yeah, I mean, right now we've been getting... I don't know how many farms we got going on simultaneously, but getting all of the fields prepped over the last week to two weeks. And now we're starting to get into the actual spreading of the spreading of the seed and getting that all into the ground. At the same time, we're working on maximizing our perennial plots and the overall maintenance on those moving into fall, make sure that we've got a good source for a lot of these key hunting spots deep in the timber um getting those all really dialed in as we move forward for this next month and a half until archery opener yeah so here in the midwest i mean we're kind of getting into that that prime time period of of planting right so now for the next what several weeks you know we're, we're kind of in that window where if you're going to be planting your fall plots you want to get them in um, so JJ, I will kick that off to you. Um, let's talk about those fall plantings, you know, what you're doing, how you're prepping right now, um, what that prepping looks like, and then move into what that seeding is going to look like. What are you planting and, and you know, when? Yeah. So fall plantings, I mean, you know, we always show it like on our box and instruction videos, as far as, um, Nebraska stuff, um, there's a map. So it's like, you know, there's a zone, um, we're up here, zone four or five whether it's Wisconsin, Minnesota, yep. and then we're planting starting the earliest would be this late July. So um, if you got a plot in, you know, this week, that'd be the, kind of the, the front end of it. And I actually plan to plant most of my stuff in the next seven to 10 days. So um, that's kind of the window. And the further south you get, you know, you shift into different zones um, on that planting map, and then it just keeps shifting back 
you know, one week after the next. I know it's, you know, further they get down south, there's people that are still going to be planting in September, October, which seems crazy because hopefully mm-hmm. we're tagged out by then up here. Yeah. Um, so the the thought of like, you know, people have are turning dirt while we're hunting, um, it's very strange aspect. But yeah, we're just getting into the fall plots right now, which would be, um, you know, like your brassica plots, so the Illusion Prime Time system. Um, we are doing some clover planting now. Most of that, at least what I've done, um, I planted that in the spring. I know you're putting in mm-hmm. some fall planted um, easy greens clover t- clover plots right now too. But um, yeah, right now it's all about fall plots. Putting those in. So right now a lot of spraying is what I've been doing, mowing and spraying, prepping those areas. Um, had them mapped out on the Onyx system for months now. Had the plan just kind of waiting on the right time. And um, yeah, that's that's where we're at. So I've been mowing, spraying, wait for those plots to die off, and then I'm gonna head back next week, do a lot of tilling, planting, which would be broadcasting in this case, and then um, either cult packing or 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 I'm dragging. So just trying to get good seed to soil contact, and timing that with rain. So we have had a super dry season so far, but lately we've had a lot of rain. So these big storms are you know rolling in big thunderstorms, and it's heavy rain. It's not a consistent like long duration it's hot and heavy um so that's good and bad but uh at least we're getting some rain yeah rewinding it i mean two three months now all of our perennial plots were struggling throughout the big portion of the summer just because we had i mean two months of zero moisture in the southern part of minnesota here i know a lot of areas in the midwest are very similar situation from here to ohio um but the recovery of them right now is kind of what we really need to focus on as far as getting them into that fall performance. So like JJ was saying, a lot of spraying, getting the foliar fertilizers uh, put on, really rejuvenating those plants and getting them up up and uh, standing tall again with all the new rain that we're getting. So Let's walk through a little bit of a process here, like on a new plot. So, you know, say somebody's thinking about going out there and planting prime time right now, you know, a, a solid brassica mix, um, you know, so they have a quarter acre or, you know, if they have an acre, you know, they're looking at different quarter acre systems. The cool thing about what, you know, we've been doing with Onyx here in the last, you know, few weeks to months in the, in the preparation process is like going in and, you know, we can map out the area of that food plot. So we can say, okay, this is a quarter acre or this is mm-hmm. an acre, for example. Like I know on on one of our farms, like we have a food plot that's just over an acre and we're actually doing a mixture of, of four quarter acre systems in there, um, you know, given deer mm-hmm. the, the uh, – differences in those those systems throughout the year uh, a little bit of, of continual testing going on there um, but definitely mixing in those flavors so you know the deer have something that's that's palatable and an attractant all year long um, so definitely cool on that mapping side of things but say you know let's just use prime time as an easy example somebody's going out to planet you know here coming up what are those steps looking like you know we, we talk about spraying um, but you know, the, these systems, they come with, uh, three fertilizer applications. Um, you know, let's walk through those and, and talk about what that, that kind of system looks like. Well, it's really going to depend on each person that's planting because not everybody has the same tools. Um, but really getting your soil either worked or cleared off, especially for prime time, you want as much of the debris, the thatch leaves off of your food plot as possible. Um, and with the prime time 
good example is you want a nice firm soil bed when you are planting. So if you don't necessarily have a tiller or a cultivator, go out with a steel rake, just loosen that topsoil so the seed has a pl uh, place to really sit down into. And then waiting for that rain to come in, even morning moisture, but these really high humidity days are going to help break that seed open and uh, entice the germination stage. So um, getting getting the plot cleared off and applying your soil starter is going to be number one, I mean, for whoever you are using these systems. Yeah, and kind of back to your point, like measuring them out first, I think it surprises yeah. you how much, like you always, I feel like you always look at your plot and think it's bigger than it is. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I got a half acre here. The other day I <clears throat> mowed some corn down, some kind of failed, partially failed corn that I thought would be a good strategy, put this primetime brassica blend in. And I'm thinking to myself, this must be quarter to a third acre plot just because like the depth of that area just seemed large. And then I, I mapped it out on Onyx and it was, you know, 0.15 or 0.2. So it was under a quarter. Yeah. So, you know, if I would have gone out there with my quarter acre system, laid the seed down, or I would have brought, you know, a third of an acre worth of seed, I would have over planted that and not had as good a results. Because with brassica, you don't want to crowd that seed. You want, want to give it space so they can, you know, each have their own, each plant has its own nutrition mm -hmm. for bulb growth, um, you know, top growth. You want to maximize the plant. So overcrowding brassicas is not good. And I think it's probably one of the Biggest mistakes people make on brassicas. I know we've done it in the past. I would say that's easy to do. Easiest, easiest, the biggest mistake that people make is over planting it. And one really good way that you can tell if you've done it in years past, um, say you did a brassica field two, three years ago, and you realized that your plants were only getting three, four inches tall. And then within a week or two of that, they would turn yellow or orange. And they're really not getting the mineral or potassium, specifically potassium and phosphate deficiencies. Uh, and that's just going to choke your plant or your plot out. It'll settle down and then eventually die off. I mean, within days of that. So that's when you get into the recovery phase of late season food plots, but we can get into that here a little bit later. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so to, to kind of keep that ball rolling forward. So, Okay, you put your soil started down, you plant your seed, mm -hmm. um, you know, hopefully get some rain, you know, those plants start coming up. So what are those, those pro what's that process like after the fact, after the, the seeds in the ground? Well, it, I guess we should back up one more step because herbicide is very important on especially brassica systems. So you're not competing against at this time of the year, about the only wild grass in our area in the upper Midwest is going to be foxtail that it's going to be competing against. But foxtail has the ability to grow a lot faster than most of the plants that we're planting. So that'll suck up a ton of the nutrients that these brassicas or the clovers are living off of. Um, that being said, getting herbicide down first and foremost, I mean, whether it's a clethodime or a 2,4-D, uh, 2,4-DB, one of those will really drive out the grasses that can kill or really hamper a food plot in general. But the process of getting it going, once you see your plot coming out of the ground, you're waiting two to two and a half, three weeks and getting that root booster in. And like I was saying, that pot potassium and phosphate is huge for the root development. Those tap roots deep, diving deep down into the soil and really harvesting the minerals that you don't have the ability to feed it. So that's 
getting the foundation of your plant set is really what the name of the game is when it comes to that root booster foliar application. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of a standard method we've always used is, you know, mow. Obviously, if you can do all this, mow, mm -hmm. spray, gly with glyphosate, or which is Roundup, or wait 10 days or so, till or disc or work the dirt, however you can. Um, and then there's always the opportunity to come back and spray if you let more weeds fill in, spray and then plant, or just plant right into that and hopefully that you can out-compete any weeds coming in. So that's kind of just that basic method we've used in the past. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I know we get a lot of questions about soil starter, like should I put it on before I plant? Should I put it on when I plant? Should I put it on after I plant? Um, I think the only change in that, typically we just say spray it on the dirt or in the soil and then plant or broadcast right into that um, because then it's just your one-stop shop. Like you can just do that one, mm -hmm. one application and then leave. You don't have to come back for another application. But if there's a rain or something, like a big heavy rain coming in after, you can yep. wait a week yeah. to put it down um, as well. Like you don't need to do it same day, but we get that yeah. question quite a bit. And rain runoff isn't too big of a problem as long as it has a few days to settle into the soil because really what that, what that chemical compound's doing is neutralizing and balancing your acidity in the soil from low acidity to high alkalinity, bringing it back to that neutral state. Um, but once it has a day or two to sit into the soil, it's really got its work going. So a rain can come wash out and it's already starting to do its magic in, in an essence. But if you do it the same day as planting, there's no harm in that because it goes to work, I mean, literally immediately as it's hitting the soil. Um, you can even do it a couple days after. Uh, there's no harm in it after the seeds are up out of the ground. Um, like you were saying, if there's a heavy rain, wait a few days after, put your soil starter down. The calcium in it is just going to be a added uh, benefit to your germinating seed. And really all plants need that calcium to grow. So it's just a pack of steroids basically for your plant as it's coming out of the ground. Yeah, and then one note on the herbicide stuff too is 2,4-D will stay in the ground um, couple weeks. in the environment for 10, 14 days. So if you're going to do that, typically I, I don't just because it does could affect your germination, but mm -hmm. just maybe keep an eye on the 2,4-D. Um, but as far as prepping the dirt, some strategies and different ways we've done that. Um, <clears throat> you know, you can disc. If you got a disc, you could, if it's a small plot, you could, you know, hand rake. Um, if that's all you got, you could use a rototiller. That's a pretty good method. That we've used the F2, F2, uh, yeah. S2 S2 yeah. tooth cultivator um, has been huge. We got the pull behind one for an ATV version. I'm also going to try one for a tractor this year to see how that works. So you can even use stuff like I mean, homemade. Back before we had all this equipment, I was using a log with spiked poles. You know, you put a six-inch spike through a railroad tie, and you make sure you're dragging it, and it's flipping the dirt up. Pull it behind your four-wheeler, stuff like oh, that. Oh, I was going to ask you if you put it behind your four-wheeler or you just yeah. strapped a chain to yourself and pulled it. Well, it depends on, <laughs> depends on what I ate for breakfast that morning, I suppose. But <laughs> So, anyways, you, you kind of back to that that system. Um, so, get the root booster in there. Again, the, the cool thing about this these, these systems is that all these, these fertilizer ap applications are supporting your plant. So when you do have times of drought or stress or these things, like it's just, it's giving your, your plants and your food plot as a whole, a better chance of survival and a better chance to thrive. Right. Mm -hmm. So root booster, you know, 
10, 12, 14 days or a few weeks after, after you, know, you see the see the plant come off. After yeah. the plant comes up, your last post-emergent is uh, your foliage fuel. Foliage fuel plus. Yep. So talk to me about that quick. So that's got two different types of nitrogen in it. Most commonly in the agriculture world with pelletized fertilizer, the urea-based nitrogen. It's under half a per, or under half of what the complete nitrogen is. Then the other one is a proprietary nitrogen that will sit on the soil if you missed a plant or it'll, I mean, essentially you want to be spraying this directly on the plants to feed them directly. So if you're spraying it on the soil, you're not doing your job. <laughs> but um, you get you get this uh, nitrogen onto your plant, it absorbs directly into it, and that's what's really going to explode your foliage canopy above ground. Everything we're doing before this is everything below ground. We want that foundation set, the bulbs growing, the taproots diving, everything for this last step is pushing that plant into full maturity and really right at the time of hunting season. And to backtrack on what you were just saying, kind of the beauty of the whole system is each of these different fertilizer applications, one directly fed for that specific blend these are i mean they're universal as far as food plot seed goes you can do it on rye oats so on and so forth but the beauty of it is is you're putting these different uh chemical compounds the potassium phosphate nitrogen the different minerals that we use inside these fertilizers at the times that these plants need it during their growth stage to really enhance their growth but as you were saying minimize any stress that they're having uh really holding or building the best like moisture retention for root because your root development is huge and when you got a dry couple weeks that moisture retention is huge on keeping the plant alive and healthy yeah and another question we've been getting which is why we yeah. started a series called groundworks so we don't have to just unload on podcasts and geek yeah. out and do all this stuff yeah um should i put can i mix root booster and foliage fuel and just apply it at one time yeah. and you can Yep. So once your brassica plants or, or clovers or whatever um, is up to the right height to apply our fertilizers, you can mix them and do one application, um, yep. which is going to be my method for Wisconsin because I can't get there, right? So it's like a two-hour drive. Um, I'm electing not to drive there multiple times to do these, so I'm just going to mix it at one time, wait till the plant's up six, eight inches, and, and then uh, fertilize with both. So lots of different ways that you can plant a food plot. Fertilize yep. a food plot, design a food plot, kill a buck over a food plot. So we should probably talk strategy a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's kind of one of my favorite parts about this whole food plot thing. So I, I, I will be the first one to admit I am not a food plot planting expert by any means. Um, that's why you know, I always have me come over and do them. That's exactly right. I got seed scientist comes over and plants my plots. Um, no seed at a time. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> and, and I do make him pull the, the railroad tie with the spikes. No, yeah. no four-wheeler. <laughs> Um, no, but, uh, like I have been, been fortunate enough to hunt over a lot of different types of food plots, film over a lot of different types of food plots, good ones, bad ones. Um, but you know, the cool thing for me is, is seeing that, that strategy and, and, uh, kind of designs of food plots. Like we work very closely with those guys over in Wisconsin, you know, homegrown and love the grind. And they do some, some pretty extravagant designing within their food plots, mm -hmm. um, and you guys kind of do a little bit of the same thing. Um, and it, it's really cool. We've, we've got to break down the strategy behind those plots on Onyx, like I said, planting different things and also using, uh, you know, different tools like screens. So, 
you know, using screens within your plots to try to maneuver deer traffic um, kind of the way that you want it within your plots as well. So you can talk about that, JJ, Um, you know, some of the different strategy behind the plots. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to that whole Onyx mapping and strategy on the front end. Um, You know, what's the size here? You can put your stand location on your app. Like, what's the wind direction? You can put the preferred wind for that stand location on the app. Like, kind of dive into that first before you just go out there and start working dirt and putting seed on the ground. Mm -hmm. Because it's a lot harder to change your access and to change your strategy after your plot's where it is. So I know homegrown guys put in a crazy amount of design time before they actually plant. And we do too, but we're more of that <clears throat> a little bit different strategy. And, you know, m- maybe you disagree or agree, but we're more micro plot based or so like just small, no like in the timber on the edge, like kill plots. Um, and a little bit less focus on destination, even though we have that built into like the big strategy um, of what we're doing. But for sure. Yeah, I think um, as far as strategy goes, I mean, there's there's too much to break down on, on just one podcast or one little section here but i think screens are have been a phenomenal tool if you have enough sunlight yep. you have the right conditions screening off your plots or having good natural screens or elevation changes that work as screens you know the, the key is just getting in and out having the deer use your plot in daylight um, without getting bumped by you or predators or mm-hmm. um, being too stressed like you don't want them out in the wide open yeah so tight little kill plots that are on the edge um, where you can get just enough sun to grow that food source, maximize that food source. But it all comes down to can you kill right there? Like, can you get a shot? Um, yeah, screens are huge for that. Yeah. It it honestly helps keep the deer relaxed, though, as they're feeding. I mean, you get a deer out 50 yards and they're working through a field and it's screened in on three of the four sides. That deer's going to feel comfortable there unless a predator runs through because they know that nothing can see them from the sides besides you up in the tree. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, it's it's interesting, and, and I agree with that comment to a point, but I think that you have to be careful there too. Like I, I wouldn't recommend that you go and screen off like your whole plot because no, I, no, I think no. do, deer, they do like to see, right? So mm-hmm. if there is a predator coming, they want to see it. They, you know, we, we know deer rely on their senses, you know, their smell a lot, but their eyesight as well. Uh, but definitely use those screens for access. One of the cool things that we've been working on you know, uh, this year is um, using those screens for not only access, but again, deer travel movement. So yeah. like you have a big plot and if that plot's a little bigger than you can shoot across with a bow, for example, using uh, a screen to, you know, maybe split that plot down the middle, start it from the end and stop it 40 yards in front of your, your mm-hmm. blind or your stand. So, you know, if a deer wants to cross that plot or they want to see on the other side, you know, not saying that they won't cross that screen, but it, it kind of entices them to go around that screen, mm-hmm. making them hopefully come within bow range. So not only using them as an access tool um, and a safety thing, but also as a, as a kind of transitional uh, element within your food plot, I think is really cool. Um, you know, the, the other thing is back to kind of JJ's point, you know, you can have the best looking food plot in the world and it could be the most palatable and it can be the best thing ever. But if you can't access it effectively, if you can't hunt it effectively, you know, with your stand placement in the wind, then what does it matter? You're you're giving the deer nutrition and, Mm -hmm. you know, you can do that. What, what, however, but when it comes down to it, us hunters, you know, we're planting these food plots not only for the deer, but we're planting them to give us a hunting advantage. 
So that's where the strategy comes in. So before you get out there and plant your food plot, make sure you understand what that strategy is and that it's creating a hunting advantage for you. Right. And on all, I mean, being strategy based right now, especially with the screens, your access, one thing not to look over is water sources on these microplots. They are absolutely huge. I know JJ utilizes them in Minnesota and Wisconsin really heavily. We put in a few over the last few years and we're putting in a couple more next week on our family farm just because we've seen how they've worked in the past and how effective they are on drawing the deer in and keep it, keeping them in that plot from two hours before sundown till sundown. So you've got a long duration of deer deer travel that you otherwise wouldn't because they don't have everything in one spot. Yeah, and you made a good point about not putting screens around like the entire plot. Um, typically we're putting them on half or a quarter of the plot, just that side you want to access. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have to be a screen like we plant. You know, we've been testing screen seed and varieties for a while. I think last year we got ours up to 16 feet down at OR bottom. So it's pretty big. a pretty impressive thing we got going with that screen system. But it could be like at this one plot, we'll break down at IMAX. You know, part of the screen on one side is corn. You know, that's an eight-foot tall screen mm -hmm. that'll stay in. Farmer doesn't... Um, harvest that corns and then there's switchgrass on the north side that's a six foot tall screen you know some of them are pile up tree brush mm -hmm. you know that's a screen so it doesn't have to be like planting a screen it can just be any type of visual barrier so lots of different options but yeah not um encasing your food plot with a screen or, or creating like a really tight funnel i know you got experience with mm -hmm. seeing deer negative negatively react or not use stuff that's planted too tight. Like if you have a cornfield and you're trying to funnel them through a little six foot gap out into something bigger, um, a lot of times they'll skirt that and they just don't, like big bucks don't feel comfortable mm -hmm. with that all the time. So yeah. try not to make them feel like tunneled in. Tunneled in. Yeah, no and doubt. When the other thing I was gonna mention on mm -hmm. these screens, especially when you're using them for driving the traffic, having breaks in the screens every 15, 20 yards so they have places to pass through, uh, the a couple of our fields that are only like 30 yards wide, you have a break on each side, you have one coming around the edge, you got a break in the corner. So they have all these different avenues for entrance and exit if they need to get out of there. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I was just going to say quick on the, on don't pinch them down too much. You know, that's what, so I talked about the screen that we're, we have running through the middle of one of our plots mm -hmm. and we stopped it probably 50, 60 yards from where where the blind is. And the reason being is I don't I don't want to shoot a deer at sixty yards, but I don't want them to feel like they're too pinched down too. Like mm -hmm. they're they're going to be comfortable with where that blind is because it's been there a long time and and it's a comfort thing for them. But I I still like they're still aware of it. They're going to be aware of where the end of that screen is, and I don't want to pinch them down too tight. Mm -hmm. I want to entice them to go that direction, but I don't want them to to feel like they're going through a cattle gate either because I right. I don't think that they like that. So you know, give them some breathing room. Um, do, you know, use your little tools and tricks like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, don't, don't pinch them down too, yeah, too when, tight. When we were out there working on that field, that was, that was a good stopping point for you. Cause I mean, you're literally halfway across the field, so they have plenty of room to roam around without at all feeling pinched out. No doubt. Endless. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say like in a, in, a, in an ideal world, obviously you want all the deer within shooting range, but also you don't want to create, yeah, that bad environment. So having a plot, maybe it's 60, maybe it's 70 or 80. I know at OR bottom bat blind, we're 60 yards to the backside. Um, so every deer that comes in, you can't shoot. 
So we're, we use screens to push them a little bit around in there, but sometimes you just got to go with what you, you have. You can't mm -hmm. like redo every element of the micro plot or of your food plot. For sure. Yeah. I, when it comes to, to strategy, I mean, I, it's, it's endless. There's 30 million things that I'd like to talk about. Definitely in, in the, uh, podcast moving forward, which we'll do one, you know, try to do one here every week, uh, coming up until the season. Um, Lots of stuff to talk about strategy-wise, and especially early season coming up here. Um, dive more into that. But I want to get into um, some of the other things that, that we're going to talk about. Um, so let's jump into maximizing volume in plots you've already planted. So maybe it's uh, uh, beans that you've already planted or, you know, a farmer's ag field um, that that you can maximize the volume in. So um, let's talk about that, plots that have, have already been established what is your strategy? What are you thinking about right now, this time of year, to maximize that volume and in, in your chances of success moving into the fall? Well, me in particular, I've got a little over a one-acre bean field that I planted a couple of weeks ago. It's up out of the ground now, trying my best to keep things out of there. We've talked about it internally here with the cattle getting in from the neighbors. But um, right now what I'm going to be doing is putting in brassicas and – these are a couple test brassicas that we'll be talking more about in the future, but um, getting your brassicas established in lower growing beans is really easy at this time of the year. However, if you're in a farmer's ag field and you're already up three, four feet on the bean height, top dressing it is sometimes not the best bet. You want to stick closer to that timber line or wherever your stand placement is. Uh, keeping it tighter against the woods and in that case you'd probably want to revert to a clover or something that can handle a little bit of filtered sunlight or shade yeah so maximizing volume when talking about egg um up here it's typically your corn and beans mm -hmm. yeah if it's too tall or too thick um i know last year imax you know the place that white tough from scratch that we talk about quite a bit was was soybeans and it was super tall so i i broadcasted basically this week last season into these soybeans and they were you know not quite chest high but you know belly high and i was soaking wet with the the moisture in the in the morning the morning mm -hmm. dew um i broadcast that acre field and it was just absolutely soaked but that didn't do well because it was way too thick mm -hmm. so super tall um a great um, product obviously for the farmer but mm -hmm. not enough sunlight or soil contact to even grow a good plot um this year is totally different because we've been through a semi drought all summer. So our beans, I can still see the soil between the rows, you know, they're substantially shorter. Um, so broadcasting the, the, in this case, prime time or your brassicas into that situation is going to do a lot better because it got the sun, um, soil exposure, soil contact, um, probably going to have a lot better success, but yeah, if that's not the case, I always look for, you know, the edge where maybe got sprayed and disked. So there's not a lot of weed competition. And there's that soil contact you can get with broadcasting your, mm -hmm. your brassicas or clover or whatnot. Or if the farmer would let you, or if you're if it's something that you planted or, or you're keeping standing for yourself, you know, maybe mow down a little bit. Maybe make a trail or make a little plot, cut into the egg, um, and just plant within. But um, I know I was talking to Andrew earlier. He's debating on leaving X amount of acres of standing beans over in Wisconsin. You know, and my thought was like, you know, you could leave five acres up and just go straight standing beans or take a look at it this week, see how those drought conditions affected that. You know, mm -hmm. maybe they were a lower, thinner bean. Maybe you can leave 
save some money, leave two, three acres, add prime time into that mix, and then, you know, take the pressure off the beans and add a second food source right inside that bean. So saving some money, getting more food production out of that, out of those acreage, out of that acreage. A um, couple different strategies. Also one more that I'm going to try this year or that I actually put in yesterday. Part of it was there's some corn that we planted, um, film that up by the shed there at the White Dust and Scratch property. And my corn planting methods are not very efficient. So um, <laughs> it does not look like a farmer planted it pretty thin, some short areas, um, but lots of lots of space to put in prime time. So I went, went through there yesterday. I knew we had thunderstorm coming last night, broadcasted uh, a quarter acre of prime time into the corn along the edge in the thin spots. Um, just tried to, you know, put the spreader up high. Just try to add more food to that area that's not changing from now until season anyway. Might as well add food to that instead of opening up more land, more mm -hmm. acreage that could have been bedding or transition. You know, it's trying to maximize the acreage. So adding into egg fields is a big one. Yeah, it's definitely, it's like sweetening the pot, you know. Yeah. And I and I think is if you can give them multiple options, um, give them to them, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and it takes some pressure off of the off those beans. So... You know, with us, and I, I know, you know, sometimes talking to those farmers and leaving standing crops is, it is, it's expensive. And it, yep. especially when you're trying to leave, you know, larger amounts, um, but, you know, maybe leave a little, add some brassicas to it, add some prime time to it. Because um, I can tell you that it, it's pretty effective um, mm -hmm. during the late season as well. We, we'll talk about it during the, the recovery and, or fixing failures, but um, had some really good, good luck last year with uh, brassicas even into the late winter. Um, so, you know, giving them those two things there, you know, could be really beneficial. And to your point, you know, if, if those beans were already up thicker, the corn's there, look at, don't just go around your cornfield and just spread it everywhere. Think about where you're going to be hunting. Think about where your stand is and put that food again, you know, kind of common theme here, but where it creates a hunting advantage for you. Where do you want the deer? Try to put them in that area. Yeah. Yeah, and then what Brian said earlier too, if you don't have a lot of sunlight, clover might be a little bit better bet than um, mm -hmm. than Nebraska. Also, rye coming up, you can plant a lot later. So if things fail again, which we'll talk about failures in a second, mm -hmm. um, you know, adding some rye or oats also to those crops would be good. And then another way to maximize volume is fertil fertilizing. So yep. with our systems, it comes down to maximizing the space. They're microplot systems, and that really happens through the fertilizer, the foliar fertilizer application later on. So um, trying to, we'll, we'll make up some numbers, but trying to double um, your food plot volume is kind of the goal. You know, it's, I don't know if it's 200%, but that's kind of the concept, you know, take that space, maximize the volume. We're doing that through feeding the plants. Yep. And we're using that on not only the mixes that we sell, yep. which is prime time, four seasons, easy greens, but we're even experimenting with using these fertilizers. I've, I sprayed it on the corn, sprayed it on beans, sprayed it on, you know, other types of crops, um, testing it out and just seeing, you know, what that impact is on sprayed versus not sprayed, um, feeding the plants versus not feeding the plants, and um, definitely another way to maximize a plot, whether that's yeah. a food plot or egg. Being that now is the time that we're, everybody's thinking about food plots and it's time to plant, Let's give away a food plot system. We're going to give away a primetime illusion food plot system. So all you need to do is comment the keyword primetime. You can comment on YouTube. Uh, you can comment on any social post or send us a message on illusion or deer society uh, with that keyword. 
that, that secret keyword, prime time, and we will pick a winner next week and we'll give away a free prime time illusion food plot system. Let's, uh, let's move into fixing failures. This is an interesting topic and one that a lot of people deal with. We've all yeah. dealt with it. Um, and it's kind of recovering those pro- plots, you know, those failures, whether it's, you know, something you could control or not. Um, you know, this year in particular, like we've had extreme drought. Now we've been lucky and we've got some rain here. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's run down some different failure examples and what you've done to fix them. And are there any plots this year that you're experiencing that with already and planning on fixing now? Well, I've had a couple plots fail this year just due to exterior, uh, exterior, I don't know how elements, I don't know how you say it lightly. Yeah, impact. But uh, some farmers have uh, had their calves get out a handful of times and it's not a small number of calves and they run through a food plot in a matter of a couple hours and does some pretty hard devastation on a micro plot. Let me, let me just paint this picture for you. So every morning Brian comes in the office and he's like, you can just hear him. Like he pulls, he pulls, he opens his reveal app and it's just like, are you kidding me? Cows are back again. So he just sees all these pictures of cows in there. The nice thing is, you know, at least you're running reveals on there. So you can tell, like if you weren't running those, like those cows might be in there and for you know, days and days and days. At least you can call the farmer and say, hey, yeah, and you know, cows are up there again. And Honestly, and he's greatest guy and gets them out of there as soon as I let him know. It's just they get out at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning and they're having until 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the morning and they do do some pretty good damage. They are in there yesterday morning and took out about probably a quarter acre of annual clovers that I'm testing out, which those won't recover. So we're going to be doing, like you were saying, fixing failures. I'm going back in, uh, same plot now. Over the weekend here, going to rework the soil, uh, and then this is going to now turn into a very heavy brassica field, but something real quick growing. Don't have to worry too much about the herbicides at this point in the season, just because there's minimal grasses that are still germinating. The only real weeds are kind of them velvet weeds and button weeds, um, but the brassica should be able to outcompete them because of the use of this plot in years past, just working the soil year after year after year. There, I know there's not a ton in there that is going to compete against it. So brassica is a really good backup option. We've got plenty of time still. Um, really wanted to see how those ones would do in the shade and kind of moving out into that sunlighted area because it's real good narrow plot where you can test a lot of different elements of how these seeds are growing. But Excited to see how it goes. It's just unfortunate that I need to plant that one again. Should get a discount on the Deer Society flavored beef. That's that right. <laughs> I, 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 we, it tastes great. They're okay. eating lush food plots right now. Yeah. Right. I already told <laughs> them this is playing out perfectly. Like hunt breakdown, I can see it already. We're going to call it steak dinner. And then the, the deer is going to be called ribeye. We already named them. If any new deer show up, it's going to be called ribeye for sure. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, well, you know, things happen, so I just got to adjust yeah. accordingly, and at least we have time, so that's yeah. the good part. Yeah, in our area of southern Minnesota, we've honestly got probably two to three weeks still to plant your brassica systems. Now is better than later, but if you're getting into the second, third week of August, you're still going to have ample time to get a good stand-up and a lot of lush food source for your fall hunting. So yeah, we've got plenty of time. I'm not too worried about it. Um, and then like I was saying with the cattle, I uh, had fenced off this, uh, bean plot 
and it was looking very good for, I mean, one week's growth, two weeks growth, and then boom, about half the field was gone in a day. So that's another one that I am rebuilding, but, um, that's, uh, that's going to be probably half brassicas, half clover doing some of the four seasons mix, some of the prime time mix and some of the easy greens mix all filtered throughout. So that one's really unique setup being that it's in the middle of a three acre field. We've got stands around the perimeter and then a 360 blind in the middle on just a little finger of timber that kind of U shapes the blind. And as Brian was saying earlier on the strategy aspect of using screens to push them in close, we've got screen spider webbing with different food sources, different feeding rooms all the way around that 360 blind. So it forces the deer up to the blind area to travel through from room to room. But then it also forces them to the exterior of the field for all of your different stand sets for early season and then when you're hunting the rut. Yeah, and I think losing the beans doesn't necessarily mean less attraction because now you're no. going to load it up with, you know, a variety of plants through the different plots and stuff, some test bones even on top of that. Mm -hmm. But your strategy is going to change. So instead of having kind of that like semi-destination section of plot, now you're just mm -hmm. going to have more massive food volume. Yep. So, yeah, getting that. So we talked about like shot distance, you know, that's just going to have an impact on his mm -hmm. his um, hunts a little bit. So see how that all plays out. We'll have to break it down on next year's hunt breakdown for ribeye. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'll be the, I'll be filming my dad out of that blind a lot this year just because he likes sitting in that kind of central core every deer passing over that little knob on our 40 acre property and it's a it's going to be a good one as far as how we got it set up it's newly broken ground this year we pulled all the trees last year and it's going to be exciting to see how we can get these established in a first year plot of breaking that ground open for the first time literally ever it's up on a ridge top that you can almost be assured that has never been worked in the time it's been around yeah yeah so one fail cows um, <laughs> another thing that we saw this year with that drought was a lot of people's clovers plots especially the new ones mm -hmm. um or Young or clover. mowing of plots was a pretty risky thing this year uh, not a lot of moisture so that was a big fail that's something that could also be fixed with a band-aid i guess with um with brassicas right now or or even re replot clover it's still time for yeah that there's too. plenty we're of time doing, for clover we're doing some of that if it's especially in timber a little less sun more shaded area hold um, that moisture in the soil a little longer throughout the day yeah definitely one thing that we did on on the white tails from scratch property was when we planted with the green up method you know we put the herbicide down to, at pretty much the same time to try to kill off current weeds and we seeded and with our, our um, easy greens mixed and put soil starter down to give that kind of the, the, the fast life to jump up and grow. Um, but what happened is instead of, and then we kind of hit that drought. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to touch it. We didn't want to start mowing it, start spraying it with more herbicide. So we just kind of let it ride. A lot of weeds came up with that. Um, even some of last year's brassicas and things like that grew with it. And, you know, it looked extremely ugly for a long time, but we didn't want to touch it, stress it, and mow it, and burn it. Um, so we let the, the weeds come in tall. And we didn't mow it until this probably a couple weeks ago, right before some rain. And under those, you know, four foot, five foot tall weeds, there's this huge lush food plot of, you know, clover and chicory that came in really nice. So mm -hmm. that was kind of that cover crop that, that helped support the plants when, um, mowing would have definitely burned it off and been a bad thing. So we've seen a lot of, you know, pictures and messages from people that had 
failed clover plots or perennial plots or struggling perennial plots that um, you know, now's the time to come in and, and work on the fix of that. Um, yeah, real quick, one thing that you can do on your perennial plots is doing spring planted uh, varieties of rye or oats to help as a co cover crop. I mean, if you've got a if you've got a clover stand that's living year after year after year after year, and you like hunting over it in the fall, going in there in the spring and putting something up that's going to offer it a little bit of shade throughout the day is always a good idea. Just because of this factor of when you hit these drought periods, you're going to have a lot more shade on the soil, keeping that soil a little more moist than what it otherwise would be if there wasn't anything blocking out the sun. Um, but that's a real effective manner of keeping your perennial plots healthy and honestly rejuvenating it with some of the organic matter that you're going to be burning off or not burning off, but mowing down or crimping when the time comes for your fall hunting. Yep. Then kind of on a similar note, as far as an overabundance of weeds, um, you know, if you do have a lot of moisture or enough moisture to, to do some mowing and spraying, um, that could be a great method too. Um, mm -hmm. One thing I noticed too on, on some of the pots we had as I sprayed the clethodime and the 2,4-DB on, on the clover plots, which takes out the chicory, which is not ideal. Yeah. Um, but it also, yeah, took away a lot of that moisture, so we didn't have a lot of rain. You could you could tell that clover was struggling a little bit more mm -hmm. in the sprayed clean fields that were just all simply clover versus the really weedy, you know, a lot of thistles and, and those button weeds and things in mixed in with the clover. Um, so two different methods. The weedy one actually worked better this year during the drought than the, the sprayed clean stand. Mm -hmm. But now with this rain, they're both springing back and doing pretty well. So it's hard to grow plots without rain. Well, and that's one other thing that a lot of people don't think about when it comes to a drought period on clover. Your, your clover starts to dry up really heavy. It's not necessarily dead. Those root systems are vast and they spread out a long ways. As soon as you get that heavy moisture, rain after rain after rain, those things will bounce back and you'll you'll have a real good looking plot before you know it. But not getting too far ahead of yourself and replanting and replanting and replanting is yeah. going to save you a lot of work, time, and money. Yeah. And Andre hunt last year. It's a good one. We're breaking down the clover look. Because we had a big drought last year, too. Yeah, I was out there with you last summer, and it looked pretty dreadful mid part of the summer. Yeah, it was short. It was yeah. brown. All the flowers were brown and these easy greens. Um, but a little bit of rain, and it sparked and greened right up, and the deer just dove into that little kill plot. turns into a magnet, too, once so patience. they do. Patience, yeah. Yeah, let's, let's jump into another uh, failure, uh, and that'd be failed beans you know, or, or a different type of failed plot. So I think a lot of people probably deal with this. Um, uh, I know Connor's dealing with it this year. Um, we, uh, you know, and, and your bean plots can fail for, for several reasons. You know, it, it can be, it can be drought. It can be, you know, timing. It can be, uh, you know, just uh, a failure on planting. It could or be location. Could yeah. be location. It could be, you know, overbrowse. So like, you know, mm -hmm. they, they start coming up and boom, the, the animals hammer them right away and don't give them a chance to grow. Lots of different reasons there, but, you know, last year we had that happen. We put beans in um, on this one spot that was going to be a focus for later in the season. Like, that was the the focus. We are going to fence it. It was going to be great. You had those drilled in, right? And, yep, yep. beans were drilled in, and they failed for one reason or another. And uh, we, we put in a strategy to say, okay, what do we do now? Because we got to do something here. 
and uh, we went and we we worked the soil, and we put in brassicas, and it was pretty. It was later. Um, I don't remember exact exact time I in there, wanna, but I I want to say it was August sometime. I think it was like near the end of August. Near the end of August, and we we planted prime time, and I'm gonna tell you, um, it was like grade A recovery five stars because we did fence it after that, mm-hmm. um, but we took that fence down uh, kind of in that November time frame. And man, we had deer flock into there. It was one of the best performing food plots that I, I had ever seen um, or, or hunted over. Um, had some of our best hunts there last year. It was hunting with Adam. And, uh, you know, through the, the winter months, those brassicas came in beautifully, even though they were planted late, even though that wasn't the plan, like the recovery game was strong on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if, you, if you're sitting there now and, and you have, you know, beans that you've maybe planted um, that are not coming up or, or have failed, um, you know, definitely think about, you know, primetime brassicas or something to go in there as a recovery. I know uh, Connor, they went in and they, they planted a ton of beans and they all failed. So now he's stuck with like, he sent, sent a text the other day. It's like, hey, I got nine acres of failed beans. What do I do? Yeah. So maybe you can walk through like what the strategy is for those guys moving forward um, and how they're going to, tackle recovery there well yeah (laughs) nine acres is a tall tall ask but um really when you start getting into it see what your biggest focus points are if you're hunting around your stands if you're hunting around a blind you can keep some of the beans going might they might live they might not if they were stunted by a drought like a lot of places have been um really trying to get those lush edges or food sources within food sources near where your hunting locations are that's going to be effort number one if you want to replant everything completely i mean the entire fields that's going to be a lot of work (laughs) but um fortunately we're getting rain every three four days now in our area and it's about perfect for what you're saying with these recoveries um but you don't always have to depend on brassicas either um you can work off of oats for later i mean if your brassicas fail say you plant them right now and by the end of august they're burned up or you planted them too tight or what whatever the case may be you can use oats you can use rye those are real quick recovery options with plants that will basically germinate on concrete you know but it'll give you that lush green food source especially doing heavier application methods say a 50 pound bag is per acre on one of those put in 200 pounds an acre get it as thick as you can because they're going to go into their dormant stage they're going to stay green through the winter but it's gonna it's gonna be a good recovery option for getting that lush green food source and more of that attractive magnet that you're looking for yeah so failed beans sometimes it's a good failed crop because you got so much um like soil prep and you're you know the roundup ready bean you're spraying off the weeds like you're kind of set in a pretty good position to put in a brassica plot or something later on but like your failed beans was that did you drill into thatch and then you had to rework it or was it it wasn't too bad no it wasn't it wasn't thatch no it wasn't i think it was i think it was lower nutrients in the soil because of the field that it was standing in because I went out there and mowed for you prior to uh, you getting it drilled in. Yep. And the field itself was, I mean, no kidding, shoulder height throughout the entire thing. So yeah. 
I think it was a lot of depleted soil from nutrients and the beans just didn't have enough of that jump start. hit a couple week dry spell and they just stunted and stayed at that point. But then when we went back in and reworked the soil, we spread the fertilizer, we sprayed the soil and everything took off just as you hope it would, you know? Yeah, so you reworked it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of times <clears throat> beans are worked or the ground's worked quite a bit before you plant. So then when you come back through, you know, after all the roundup and weed control, you can basically just broadcast the brassicas right on top. So, um, yeah. mm -hmm. And corns that way. I think what we did last year, I'm trying to remember, and you might remember it better, but I think we only worked it up about a half inch to an inch when we did work it just to, yeah. so we didn't, we had minimal soil disturbance, so we weren't flushing up new weeds that were new weeds or grasses or whatever it may be, but yeah, it was because didn't have anything to compete against, so they're absorbing all of those nutrients we were feeding to them. Yeah, yeah, we did not go in there and work it with a big tiller or anything. We no. just we went and disturbed that soil a little bit, uh, you know, a half inch, mm -hmm. and and planted. You know. But and and it was ultra successful. So yeah, you know that's. That's, I think, you know, what, what you have to understand is you, you do everything that you can on the front end. Sometimes it doesn't work, you know, but mm -hmm. hopefully there's there's a recovery method. And, you know, like JJ, I can remember that was a couple of years ago where you had a, a situation that you had to recover kind of later. Um, and that was the army worms. And I don't remember exactly what oh, the situation terrible. was, but you were replanting shoot. It, was, it had to be September. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the tough part was that, so the army worms, they're more of like a grass-specific. They go after your grasses, your corn in cases. But So it wasn't like they were going after brassica plots and clover and things like that. But So the plots they went after were actually late-planted rye, what kind of Band-Aid plots anyway, um, more like soil conditioning, just soil prep for future years. Mm -hmm. um, rye and oats, wheat. Um, could have been a mix in there, but yeah. So they went after those types, which then it was already later in the season. So then I tried to come through. I think it was September. You know, the season opened in a week, and I'm working dirt and trying to get something. So again, another band aid. Tried to throw tons of rye on top. Um, but yeah, not a good situation. So that's, I guess, one reason not to go plant rye. No. Yeah. Um, but they only come around here like every ten years, and there's a reason for why they were there. Um, had to do with the neighbor's crop that he put in and harvesting and, and this kind of a freak situation that doesn't happen often. But, um, yeah, you never know. Droughts, worms, cows. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of reasons things, things fail. But being on, being on the topic of rye and oats and that kind of thing, like we mention it a lot, but all of these different food sources have their place in your habitat strategy I mean, the more food diversity that you have on your property, the more advantageous you're putting yourself into for that position. We don't do, I mean, we do less and less, I guess, every year of the rye and oats, but having your brassicas with your prime times or your four seasons, your clovers, mixing it in with egg, egg setups, everything is compounding to build those plots into a more attractive and nutritious area for a deer to live in. So... I mean, we talk about a lot of different types of varieties, but they're all for a reason, and that's why the deer do tend to stick around a lot later into the season, for us at least, you know? Yeah. Well, tons of good information there, and, you know, it's an exciting time of year from food plots to, uh, you know, summer scouting. You know, we're getting into those stages where bucks are 
really putting on some inches now. You know, they're they're looking good in velvet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting cell cameras out. Um, I think you know throughout the next weeks, we, we're definitely going to talk here on the podcast about you know just camera strategies, placements, uh, you know, more food plot stuff. We're busy planting, and then you know start to prep for the season before you know it. I mean, we're we're a month, a month and a half out, which is crazy to even say. Um, but did, mm-hmm. it's coming quick. So definitely exciting. Um, you know, fall food plot wise, like now is the time, you know, yeah. if, if you're thinking about it, um, you know, now's the time to, to really start to engage, um, you know, get out there, get your illusion systems, figure out, you know, when you need to plant them, where you're going to plant them, st- do that strategizing on the front end. Cause that's going to make your, your whole planting process and then your end result even that much better. Um, so guys, Thanks for listening. Uh, If you haven't done so already, make sure you download the free Deer Society app. Tons of information on there. If you're wondering about food plots, definitely go check that content out because there's instructionals on there um, and different tips and tactics on planting. Um, And if you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe. Check that out. You know, if you're looking for Illusion Food Plot Systems, illusionsystems.com. And then it's also in a lot of your local retailers. And if you have questions on food plots, what to plant, where to plan or strategy, definitely reach out to us, you know, social media, illusionsystems.com. You can find a phone number and actually reach out and talk to Brian, um, get some of that firsthand advice. So if you have questions, do not hesitate. Make sure you get a hold of us. Check out your local retailers. Look for those food plot systems out there and good luck planting this fall. All our sponsors here at Deer Society are partners whose equipment we know we can trust are going to make you more successful and have a better experience in the field. Products like Illusion Systems, maker of the Black Rack, the Extinguisher, and the Phase Body Odor System. Tacticam, Reveal Cell Cameras, 10-Point Crossbows, Onyx Maps, Osseo Gear, Huyman, and Big Frig.